It's refreshment time, folks. After returns and videotapes. Are either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Do you like scary movies, Sydney? You have a TV? No. I just like to read the TV guide. Read the TV guide. Don't need a TV. Books, records, films, these things matter. Call me shallow. It's the fucking truth. Over 1,600 titles. Each for rent at just $2 the first night and only... I don't watch TV. Yeah, but you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? Tonight on Six Ed World. Okay, I want channels 18, 24, 63, 10987, and weather channel. Welcome to the Frog Brothers Podcast with your hosts Justin and Alec. Welcome to the first episode of the Frog Brothers Podcast. My name's Alec. I'm here with my actual brother, Justin. Hey buddy. <laughs> what up? How you doing? I'm doing about as good as I can do during all this quarantine nonsense. Yeah, it's good times, good times. So, uh, <clears throat> my brother sparked a lot of my interest as a kid. You know, we share a lot of the same uh, interests, like Ghostbusters, Batman, Star Wars, Jurassic Park. Later on, we watched Fight Club, Pulp Fiction, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we played with action figures. I remember specifically carrying both of our Beastmaster Transformers figures... Uh, and I know that you had a pterodactyl. I don't even remember what mine was. But I remember I carried it around because you were uh, self-conscious about carrying toys around at the time still. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back, like, still old enough to be like, eh, maybe I should be buying toys, but still being like, damn, toys are pretty cool. And, you know, eventually right. you just get to the point where you don't care what anyone thinks and you're just buying toys. So uh, that explains why I buy right. so many now. <laughs> In fact, I just bought... A, <laughs> the shame is gone. I've been going through and rebuying a lot of first action figures or action figures that have specific memories. So, uh... Oh, yeah. Toys that our, our granny bought us, our dad's mom. So I recently bought um, a Batman Returns Batman figure, and it was a deep dive Batman. And I remember my grandma buying that for me. And I remember, like, going through and choosing through, like, so many pegs full of Batman figures. And... So I just uh, just rebought that figure since I have no idea what happened to the one I had as a kid. Our mom was great at flipping our toys and garage sales and donating and letting things disappear into the abyss. So I've been treating myself. Oh yeah. Also, buddy. I remember. Uh, I think I remember that Batman. Wasn't it the aqua colored? No, this one's bright yellow. Suit looks like a scuba color. Oh, bright suit. yellow. That's right. Kind of like neon yellow. Yep, uh, and then i just been buying bizarre stuff, too. So we had a real Ghostbusters window tent, basically, you'd put in the back seat of a car, and uh, I bought one of those new and packaged the other day, so I've got that. So I'm excited to hook that up in the car for when I have the kids with me. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, it's like I own way more toys than I ever owned at any point in my childhood now. Yeah, definitely, and I also just rebought a... Uh, a Spider-Man, web shooter Spider-Man from the Spider-Man line in the 1990s. I also remember buying that at Grandma's house when I went and stayed up there for a while, so that was pretty cool. Um, speaking of childhood toys, and even I remember playing with them and buying them in Omaha, some of them. Specifically the convertible I had from The Lost World. Oh yeah, that's you a remember good that? one. Yeah. And didn't you also have the Humvee from The Lost World? I, I think you had the Humvee, and you had uh, the fucking guy in the cowboy hat who says, all I want for my pay is the right to hunt one of the Tyrannosaurs. I don't know if that was actually from the Lost World. I think that was actually a Jurassic Park 1 figure that was one of the bad guys. So after Series 2 came out of the figures, they came out with this one, and I think he was one of those guys that like complimented the uh, dino trackers. I know you you had the Humvee, and I remember I had the dirt bike with Carter. And he looked nothing like he did in the movie. Oh, but I mean, not. I don't know if Carter was supposed to still be one of the dirt bikers or not. That's kind of how those extra spare characters tended to be. So back then, so the first Jurassic um park the Lost World toy I bought was Ian Malcolm with a glider. I remember my friend Joel and I used to always get a bunch of stuff as it came out and so he had bought some stuff and found it in stores, and then I remember going, okay, went out and picked up Ian Malcolm, and uh, that was the first one I had, but I don't know what happened to that either. 
<laughs> I still have um, your Jeff Goldblum from Independence Day action figure. Do you have Captain Stephen <laughs> Hiller? I He might be in a box somewhere. I know for a fact that Brendan Fraser from The Mummy is in a box somewhere. Well, he's been in a box from somewhere since the 90s, so... Pretty much. He was in uh, some new DC show, wasn't he? Oh, I didn't know they allowed him in Web public series. anymore. Yeah, he went down south, but then he made good kind of a little comeback. Speaking of Brendan Fraser, I just rewatched. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the damn name now. This is terrible. We're terrible hosts right now. What, Encino Man? No, though. Bedazzled? Bedazzled, yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah, Monkey the, Bone, Bedazzled. Yeah, I have Bedazzled. Isn't that um, an Ivan Reitman movie? Uh, it's not an Ivan Reitman movie. It was Harold Ramis, directed by Harold Ramis. Yes, that's the ticket. Yeah, yeah. So Bedazzled would be a really good movie to talk about <clears throat> in one of our other segments because that's like a really low-rated movie. It's but it's definitely low-rated. I like it. There's the the replay value, and it's much better than I thought it would be. Yeah, as a kid, I didn't like it, but as a, an adult watching it again, I was like, okay, there's a lot more subtlety to it that I didn't ever expect before. But that's a lot of Harold Ramis stuff, so it's not just slapstick humor. There's a lot of subtlety and layering that he did, and uh, I think you could appreciate a lot of more of that as once you have some life experience. Right, like the Harold Ramis movies aren't just stupid comedies. A lot of them have the people learning lessons at the end and stuff like that, and they're actually character arcs and journeys and stuff like that that are really maybe more obvious than other things or more of a central plot point but that's what it is absolutely so let's uh let's shift to the next segment here episode by episode we now return to the real ghostbusters diane 11 30 a.m february 24th entering the town of twin peaks Pretty, pretty good. Bill Murray's the funniest man on the planet. Episode by episode. So I watched this probably six days ago at this point or something like that. Um, I don't exactly remember when I watched this. I know I watched it with you. I don't know if I watched it in order. I don't have a memory of watching it for the first time. I'm sure you do, though. I do. I remember that we uh, heard about Extreme Ghostbusters coming on. I saw it in some magazine when they were still calling it like Super Ghostbusters or something. So I was like, oh, okay. So I had my eyes open for that, seeing it in a magazine. And that's actually when I really started being on the internet on the AOL days and like researching and like looking up Ghostbusters. And I remember chatting with uh, Troy from the Crossrip on uh, AOL Messenger about Ghostbusters all the time. And remember going to Proton Charging back in the day and, you know, some good stuff there. Um, so the first, oh, yeah. first couple episodes of... Extreme Ghostbusters, once it came on, I uh, remember I used a cassette tape to record them so we could actually watch uh, when we got home from school because they had it on at a funny time. So, And I think it was in syndication yeah. as well, so they had like weekday episodes that were harder to watch and then some Saturday, Saturday or Sunday episodes, so I don't even remember. Yeah, I read that they were produced kind of in a weird way, but I was just too young to really remember that. I just remembered watching them and remember the toys but as an adult i've rewatched the whole series and stuff now and um it's i just think it's so underrated and it's unrecognized it's the first fucking ghostbusters to have a female ghostbuster unless you i mean you can include janine from the real ghostbusters in that too but i just love how know, it, she was a regular ghostbuster i loved how it had so much diversity to it right everyone had their chance to come on there and be be a group and that was way ahead of its time right for for that for all the hate that answered the call got about like just having a female cast you know people had no qualms about how this series was set up in the 90s right and it was way way ahead of its time for diversity and inclusion which is pretty awesome and you look back and you're thinking like wow really that's really well done and they even had a few episodes tackle it a little bit more head on so um, but right now we're going to talk about the episode one, Darkness at Noon, part one. So let's dive into it. What do you, what do you have going for it? What do you think? Um, well, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the opening, which I think 
I don't honestly remember the first the opening for real Ghostbusters, but I know that this one it has a cold opening where they're digging the tunnel. Very much like Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 that have cold openings where you're not with the Ghostbusters. And it's, you know, something spooky, paranormal happens. And then we shift to the Ghostbusters afterwards, which is very much how this episode opens. So it's very on point with Ghostbusters. Yeah. Right off the bat. It does. So one of the first things I noticed was, like, that there's multiple roles being done by the same voice actor, right? Pretty common thing to do just to save money on budget and things like that. And Frank Welker used to do that all the time on the real Ghostbusters. So I was glad to see they carried that tradition on with this. And, you know, I took some some notes here and, you know, the new subway is going in before the next election, right? So they kind of throw a political spin in on it. Like there's a sense of urgency to get this thing done. There's no time to reroute or go around all this one. Uh, Mayhem breaks free, right? And everything goes like, goes wild here like okay we're digging we crack into this and then you get your intro credits after you get that little tease and yeah you first hear that updated theme song right and that was around the time i started listening to like more rock music and was kind of getting out of just listening to whatever's on the radio or whatever anyone listened to that i was around and i remember thinking like okay that's kind of cool like looking back it it holds up okay it's not my favorite but it's kind of fun um, the most disappointing right. thing about this entire show is that they tease Sam Hain in the opening credits and in the closing credits and in the toy line, and they never brought him back for a proper episode. Such a disappointment. Yeah. That's about the toy line, you know. That's the one of the big things that bothers me still is just thinking that Garrett never got a toy, but Sam Hain got a toy. Yeah, and then you can find some of those. I mean, there's a prototype for Garrett, but, you know. Yeah, if you want to go spend a fortune on toys and collectibles, go look up a Garrett prototype from Extreme Ghostbusters, if you can find one for sale. But at least check right. out the photos. And those are done by Trendmasters, which also made the Independence Day toy line. See, I didn't know that. I had the Egon, and then I had the Deluxe Kylie. And I know you had... Or, no, I didn't have the Egon. I had Eduardo. You had Egon. Yep, see, you had the two Ghostbusters that actually had the proper packs from the show, and I got that Egon with that weird-looking vacuum thing. It was like, uh, okay. I weirdly wish they would have kind of streamlined and matched everything so they're all uniform, but it's a toy line, so you get what you get. Yeah. I had the Ecto from that line, too, so. You had the Ecto? Didn't you have a Proton pack? Yeah, I had the Proton pack as well. And uh, I had wanted the trap, but, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> the only thing I ever got... The Proton Pack now is one of the most expensive Ghostbusters things on eBay. I think it goes for more than the 80s packs, the RGB packs. Oh, easily. Yeah, those are harder to find, right? There's fewer of them out there. Um, those are pretty cool, though. Yeah, I wish I still had mine. But, uh, anyway. So, moving right along. So... So after the uh, intro, you go up and you see that Kylie is reading Spangler's Spirit Guide. And immediately into the show, you get like these off-color jokes, right? You find out Eduardo is truly just a dick. Because the first thing he says is a oh, yeah. fucking handicap joke to <laughs> uh, Garrett when he comes in the room. Yeah. And uh, you right away, they exactly, you, you're right away getting to know the characters you see that she's interested, so you're like, okay, she kind of fits a little bit of a model of a Ray-type character. Um, and then Eduardo, he's just coming in there, and he's a dick, and it's clear that he doesn't even believe in ghosts, because he makes crack about, like, you know, you don't even believe in that stuff, do you? Yeah, and so as much as they almost, like, try to typecast some of the characters to the original four they did kind of break it up a little bit, right? So Kylie does have those right. vibes because, you know, she's big into reading, she's big into research. Um, but they kind of split Ray into the two characters, though, because so it's Kylie and Roland that basically make up Ray because obviously Ray is very mechanically inclined, more so than Egon. Like Egon's good with the tech and the gadgetry, but Ray is also very familiar with traditional repairs and stuff like car repair, vehicle repair, other things like that, that you don't ever really see or hear Egon talk about much. So Roland... Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Roland gets into that. I do like how they didn't make Eduardo like a direct Venkman ripoff. He's more of a... 
kind of in the same vein, but he's truly his own character, and I thought that was really well done. I still like the way he's done on on some of those episodes. And, you know, later on, right, they get sure. way better backstory about him as a person. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I related to him so much as a kid when it was, like, revealed that his biggest fear in one of those later episodes is that, you know, he fears his own death. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's definitely number one on your own list. At least it was for a while. Hopefully you've conquered that demon, but... Oh, yeah, I'm not too worried about that now. So there's four students, and then Janine comes in, and she's saying she's taking continuing education classes after getting laid off of a job. So clearly that's, like, relatable to a lot of people right now, so go watch this episode. Like, a lot of people are looking to going back into school and things, like, with the whole mess of the state of the world right now. So there's some other right. other cool notes and tips and nods and things like that that happen in there. So Rockefeller Center is animated in this episode, which is pretty cool because that's like a nice nod to Ghostbusters 1 where they do the uh, running through the montage scene. And then oh yeah, Tobin's spirit guide is on the table by the beacon that Kylie winds up stealing. There's another. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. Awesome little nod there that Slimer kisses Egon like he kisses Janine in the real Ghostbusters opening credits. So I thought that was a pretty oh, cool yeah, thing. Oh yeah, yeah. And now it's funny just seeing the firehouse again animated. Obviously, slightly different, but I like the animation style of the show because it's dark and it, if anything, reminds me of uh, all real monsters and Batman, the animated series. Oh, yeah, and the color palette is very 90s-esque, right? There's a lot of shows that were in that, like, dark... You know, they removed a little bit of detail, made it a little bit darker, um, a little bit scarier for a show that you didn't normally expect like that. Like, real Ghostbusters had some moments, some good ghosts on there, but just the color palette and the overall tone, like, made you feel like you're really in New York. It's, like, really dirty, it's gritty, it's underground. So I thought that was really well done on the show. Yeah, um, I think it was animated by the same people who did, did you say the Men in Black show? Uh, yeah, that was the Men in Black show, I think. And I think the Godzilla show, too. It was. The movie, yeah. the animated series. Yep, yeah, that Matthew Broderick. Like, I love you as Ferris Bueller, but good lord, what did you do to Godzilla? Yeah. Uh, so another fun... I don't know, like... Another fun part of that is the first rule of ghost busting is never go solo. And then the ghost zits, that line was pretty funny. And then uh, something very relevant in this episode to the current situation is stay indoor at all costs is one of the lines on there. And I'm like, oh, man. Very interesting, right? You think about disease going. You back? Yeah. I'm still rolling, are you? Yep, yeah, I'm still going. All right, we'll just edit to here. What were you saying? Oh, so I was going over some notes. Let me get back there just a second. So I said the first rule of ghost busting is never go solo, and then those ghost zits were funny, right? So you're talking about like a basically a ghost virus or infection going on. And one of the lines that really stood out to me right now that any other time of the year wouldn't have mattered or any other viewing wouldn't have mattered, but they're like, stay indoor at right. all costs. Right. And so you're thinking <laughs> like, Oh, very similar to this situation, like stay indoors and binge watch all of extreme ghostbusters on Hulu. Right. And the only thing I'm willing to like go out of my way and risk disease for is ass. Just like Eduardo. Because he about gets wrecked by Kylie. Oh yeah. Yeah. You forget about that. Right. Like, there is a little bit of sexual <laughs> tension and innuendo in there, right? And you're like, is this a kid show or a teenager show? I feel like a lot of the writing was made to bring a lot of the original viewership back in, right? Yeah, the some of the writers worked on the uh, Goosebumps TV show. Oh, Goosebumps. Yeah. Children's horror. I love it. It's good stuff. But, uh... So I guess some of my favorite stuff in episode by some of my favorite stuff is just the way they uh, show all the classic Ghostbusters equipment in there, right? Primarily in this oh, yeah. first episode, you see the PKA meter on there before they kind of update everything. And the end of the episode is obviously a cliffhanger, which 
was definitely a different shift from the original series because they didn't really carry over episodes. You know, it was like all tightly contained in a in a 22 minute episode, and here we get extreme Ghostbusters, and right off the bat they're like, "Hey, guess what? We're gonna split this in half." So now you gotta wait. And the anticipation yeah. of that was always crazy. And hope to God that if you're watching the next week or the next day, they actually play the follow-up episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, uh... I, uh, for, I've forgotten until I watched this again that they didn't even show the updated proton packs in this episode. They didn't even get that far, that it cliffhangs that early. But, um... It's pretty interesting... Uh, yeah, Egon gets infected in this episode, though, after, obviously, Kylie steals the, uh, what they end up just calling the ghost beacon. Um, there's a technical name for it I've written down here somewhere, but, uh, can't find it. Yeah, no, I thought that first episode is a really good way just to get things started right. Just kind of gives you a little bit of character introduction, doesn't get too wild with it. Um, and then, you know, the next episode we'll talk about on the next episode. <laughs> Yeah, a couple more notes on that um, series in general and and just this episode. Uh, When they were developing it, I don't know how far into reading about it you got, but they, originally all of the characters except Eduardo were girls when they were developing it. Interesting. And at one point, Garrett was a handicapped girl. But... um, they ended up changing that over, and um, I just wanted to note that Billy West is one of those people who is reoccurring voice. He does the voice of Slimer, and then the mayor. He does a bunch of other random voices, too. Yeah, which is funny, because right, these are the first couple of series that I really remembered hearing that like people are doing multiple voices, right? And you're like, you start to understand like what a voice actor is. You're like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Like People just do voices on that. So, Yeah, like... Um, Jason uh, Marsden, who does the voice of Garrett, you know, he did a lot of, um, I was a lot younger than you, so I I remember him on Static Shock. I I don't remember even what voice he did on that show, but I remember him on that. And uh, recently when I played, like, Skyrim, he was, he does voices in that game and stuff. He's a really big voice actor, too, so. Yeah, he's still doing a lot of work. All right, but we will talk about the next episode, next podcast. So be on the lookout for that. We'll talk about Darkness at Noon Part 2. Absolutely. So this segment is called Another Man's Garbage, if you didn't catch that in the theme. And uh, Another Man's Garbage, the concept behind this segment is we're just talking about like what people think is trash. Like what is what is something that's like hated by either critics or just the general audience, right? And we're going to talk right. about Hook. It's a classic movie. I love it. But when you look at it, it's only got a 28% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes compared to a 76% viewer score on Rotten Tomatoes. So clearly, grown-ups that were doing that's, movie that's, reviews at the time could not understand what this movie was trying to do for kids. Yeah, I, I I always thought people loved this movie because I loved it and people I knew loved it. So it was weird when I saw that it had that score. And then when I read that it had the audience score that was 78%, it was like, okay... I mean, that makes a little more sense, I guess. But still, I think it's just the audience scores that way because everyone who was a kid when they watched it is are the people who are the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes now. Yeah, so I think a lot of people that grew up loving that movie have gone in and actually scored that movie. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. So one of the things I loved the most about the movie was that it just shows what happens to so many adults, right? Um Adults lose imagination and creativity. I remember something yeah. at work. We did a, a training thing at work where we talked about, you know, like, and I'd have to look up the specific numbers, but 
so many a high very high percentage of kids like say they are creative or have creativity and exhibit that right compared to adults that it's a very low number which blows my mind yeah. because we're both in all the creative arts still but I, yeah i think that movie really speaks to like you know you don't need to outgrow things like you you can prioritize your time but you can still like enjoy your that childlike anticipation and worldview that just makes life so much more fun and so much better oh yeah i definitely agree with that this this movie's definitely like a it's not only nostalgic because you watch it as a kid but it's it, it kind of makes you want to do kid things or at least maybe creative or imaginative things so i get that for sure there are there's there's some what the fuck moments in it but they, for the most part, get a pass because it's a kid's movie. And, you know, what the fuck? It's Peter Pan. What the fuck do you expect? Yeah, so what are your moments? Some made-up shit. What are your moments like that, then? Tell me. My big ones? Rufio dying. For one. Like, this is a fucking kid's movie. I don't know people... Like... Yeah, that is pretty... Just that, what the fuck a little bit. That is a very dark moment in there, right? Okay, so you see Rufio's, like, they're trying to help Pan, who he was very resentful of for most of the movie. Like, hey, this guy's coming in trying to trying to take back over, and he's like, I've been the one that's been, like, keeping you guys together and, and running this show for such a long time. And, you know, then he sacrifices himself, essentially. And as a kid, you don't yeah. even process that because no one in the movie even acknowledges that. They're just like, oh, here we go. Like, they're never like, oh, we need to have a memorial for Rufio. Like, it's just like, for sure. he dies there and everyone else goes back to their daily life or whatever happens. And you're like, okay, like, I, I kind of liked Rufio, but I, uh, yeah. I guess I guess you guys didn't. Not enough to even mention him. Yeah. My other big what-the-fuck moment is when the crocodile, like falls on hook and that supposedly kills him with you know like he gets swallowed by it so it's like a dead crocodile you know because it's supposed to be the one that he took his out revenge out and killed but it's still kills him somehow and then it also burps yeah which i guess is just like a con comedy kids moment so i like again like it gets a pass but like it's still just what the fuck Oh, it's absolutely terrible, right? Okay, zombie crocodile clock falls over, eats hook, and burps. Uh, yeah. In an animated movie, that'd be hilarious. But in a live-action movie, you're like, that's a little out there. But, you know, like you said, as a kid, you're like, all right. You know, because that way Pan doesn't have to kill Hook, right? There's You're not taking that violence away, which is nonsense compared to watching Rufio get stabbed to death. But you're like, eh, right. Peter Pan can't can't kill Hook. We'll have to have the alligator do it. Right. Crocodile. And, um, I'm, I mean, it's called a hook, but still, it's like the movie still feels like it's way more about Peter Pan. Um, I haven't, like I said, I didn't watch it in prep for this, so I don't remember even if it starts with Peter Pan or Hook and where it ends. But obviously, he's not the victor, and the triumphant music plays. Uh, it's just kind of, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so there's some themes of that that, like, almost try to portray that Peter Pan himself has become hooked by growing up, right? He's kind of just become kind of a butthead. Like, nobody likes him, right? You know, he's, like, not there for his <laughs> kids, kind of half-assing it as a dad because he's just so focused on success and completely loses what he was become notorious for in, like, children's stories, right? And right. loses all that, and then Hook is, like, this guy that's like, okay, you know, and when Hook meets grown-up Peter Pan, you know, he's like, oh, we're going to have this great war. And Tinkerbell's got to, like, step in and say, hey, you know, like, let me let me get a few days to get him in shape here. And Hook has, like, clearly been on the revenge path. And, you know, they try to tell a lot of stuff from his perspective because he tries to use his own kids against Peter Pan and things like that. But it's it's clearly just a movie about finding your hope again and finding yourself and not letting what you do define you, but letting who you are with your family and your friends define you, right? And I think that's a pretty important thing, right? There's so many people that just focus on work and life, but it's like so much more you can do besides just be a 
be a nine to five zombie. So like, you know, let, let, let your job be what fuels you to do your, your passions and follow your passions and explore your passions in life. Yeah. I definitely feel like it's a inspirational, like feel good, just adventure movie. That's one that you can watch with your kids or you can watch by yourself, which is more likely in my scenario, but <laughs> um, there were a couple other things I wrote down about it that I just found funny. I uh, like the fact that Spielberg wanted to make it with Michael Jackson playing <laughs> Peter Pan. And uh, I can only thank God that Robin Williams played him instead. Yeah, I could only imagine how bizarre that take would have been. I I think he probably would have wanted Michael Jackson to write music and do dance sequences for it. So it probably would have been wildly popular and successful commercially. But I still think I would have hated it. I guarantee it. Um, Nick Castle also almost directed it. And um, I was like, Nick Castle, Castle, fucking, I know that name. But I don't, I couldn't place it. So I did a little more Googling, you know. Yeah. uh, And found out he was the original main portrayal actor for Michael Myers in the original Halloween. And uh, he also co-wrote Escape from New York with John Carpenter, and he himself directed Last Starfighter, Major Pain, Dennis the Menace, and in um, the 2018 Halloween, he also, you know, played Michael Myers. I don't know for how much, because I know they use so many different people these days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah. Um, I Also, the last gripe I have with Hook is the ending. Um, again, it gets it's a pass, but what's with Smee? Is this a dream? Like, yeah, but that's I know what you're talking about. Why the, and since I just watched, what the fuck it, does he show up for? So you see, like a non-pirate version of Smee, like sweeping the streets when Pan comes back, but you also yeah. see Tinkerbell. So. Yeah, yeah. Did, like Smee decided to follow them out of the world and start his own life and just acting like he's blending in, or is that just like a cute little nod that <laughs> here's Smee? Either way, it's just one of those things in the movie that they could have skipped. You know, it doesn't really add anything to it. And most kids well, aren't right. gonna catch it. It's just on to one that. of those things people give theories to it where it's like I think it means that Peter Pan just had a psychotic break and finally recovered from it, and you're like, Well, and what the fuck kind of kids movie is that? I think you're giving, yeah, there's just one of those fan theory things where people put way too much of their own wants of what the movie should be into it or and, and put weird theories around it, but it's just a fucking Peter Pan movie, dude. Exactly. I think that's one of those moments where it's just like, eh, we're going to throw him in there. But the fact that Tinkerbell is still around, like, in those scenes, like, just shows that it's not exactly what they thought it was. But right. people get bored and they like, dive deep into things. And uh, and, yeah. and here we are now, talking to ourselves. So let's move on to all right. the next segment. I mean, are all your friends Satanists? A young Frenchman photographed this flying saucer, or is it? From a Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography? We're discussing Satanism and the occult departing and some of the dangers. Telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the Sirius Atlantis. For the purposes of this study, we will focus on the number 666. Tonight on 6Ed World. All right, so... The first topic we have today is one everybody's fucking talking about these days, but it's a fun one. Tiger King. Tiger Just King. Just what the fuck. Okay, so first of all, fuck everyone in that program. All those animal abusing pieces of shit. But part two to that yeah, is... Yeah, it's really just of like a, who do I hate more? Jesus Christ, this thing's a dumpster fire. Can we burn the whole thing down? Because this whole thing should be burned down. Those are terrible humans. But highly entertaining. It- it's as many people have said, it's just that same thing where you just, you can't help but watch the train wreck. That's exactly what it is. It's like watching 
uh, an episode of Reno 911, but there's no cops and it's real. It's like watching the news on September 11, 2001, where they just kept replaying like all this tragedy over and over and over. And we're so desensitized to like real, real acts of violence and real harm to people that for the most part, people are just looking at this as sheer entertainment. Now I watched it and there's a lot of amazing stuff in it just from a, it's kind of constantly one upping itself, right? You know, everyone has that friend that's always like, you tell a story and they've got a story that's even crazier. Well, this show just yeah. fucking one ups itself time after time after time for seven straight episodes. Yeah. It's, it's hard to even talk about any specifics of it, but I will try to do a couple of them. Um, main thing I've noticed from the internet and stuff is that everybody thinks that Joe Exotic is just kind of wacky and nobody's too concerned about Doc Antle and they all think Carol murdered her husband. And all of those I disagree with. Oh yeah, they got this show so wrong, man. They could have done a way better show. Now granted, Joe Exotic's fun because... He's like I mean he's fun to watch and he's wacky. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying he's also human fucking garbage. Yes, but what I want to know about is Doc Annell. That dude has a fucking cult. That dude is running a sex cult. A sex like, cult. He yes. there's a fucking that guy is a documentary all on its own that's takes it a whole new new level because, you know, Joe Exotic people call him a cult, but it wasn't it doesn't feel anywhere near like Doc Annell's cult. And everyone on that show, including Doc Antle, like, abuse people. Not just animal, but abuse people. Like, they take advantage of these people here that don't know any better, don't have a good education, that want to be successful or want to be famous. And Doc Antle does that and, and sleeps with them. He even kind of talks about that a little bit. Like, oh, I'll give you a, a, here's a tiger cub. And next thing you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm forcing you to get right. a boob job. And you don't even know any better because I pick people to be my victim. Yeah. I definitely think he's such an annoying character because you can tell he was all into how he was going to be perceived in this thing, and that's why it's gold that they just show they're filming already, and he's like, do you want to walk up to the door, and uh, or uh, should I go lay over here, or is that a good shot? Oh, yeah, he's totally like, like the fucking road rules, like MTV style, like, hey, how do I get this shot and make it look really cool on, on fake reality TV? And he's all over right. that lifestyle. He, he's very similar to Joe Exotic in what he's doing, but he's also way more streamlined and intelligent about it. Joe's way more of a redneck, but... Yeah, and the thing is, like, all these people have had to gone through some fucking dark trauma to get where they are. Right? Right. Well, I rewatched the first episode the other day, and I remember Joe talking about how he drove his car off the cliff at the beginning there again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of fucking depressing yeah he had a terrible relationship with his dad then his brother died and then i think all that childhood and young adulthood drama like just caused him to go fucking ape shit and he found right. tigers and latched onto him right and a lot of people love animals right you can get some of that unconditional love from an animal or from a pet and he just shows you how to take it to the extreme and be insanely unhealthy with it so the other person on there is Carol, right? So with Carol, everyone's like, oh, Carol's fine. She's doing this rescue. Well, she was into breeding for a while. And you can say, yeah, well, she kind of kind of went away for, from breeding, okay? But she's a millionaire, right? She has all this money, yet she doesn't pay any of these people to do any of this work for at her, at her place. So she's like getting volunteers. So she's just as bad as the rest of them because she's just abusing people to get her stuff done now. I mean, I guess you could say that about almost anybody, right? People with wealth and power are always trying to undercut people that are underneath them for certain things, but just insane to see how she's using all these people to take care of her her own cats that she has. And it's like, and she's the type that should have been able to give them up to somewhere else or someplace where they could have a better life because I don't think the conditions there were any better at any of these places. Like, the conditions, Doc Annell's place seemed like the most professional, like, zoo type, but 
who knows what really goes on behind the scenes though, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure was not allowed to be seen or talked about or discussed on this documentary. Well, yeah, you heard he was paying, he made him volunteer to some weird program where they had to come live with him and then he would lure them into sex and all that shit, I'm sure. And eventually he would probably start giving them money and all their dumb shit. But he, he clearly manipulated the shit out of these people. Oh, yeah, they're all terrible humans. They're all prime examples of what not to be. And the beauty of it is it shows you that people from all walks of life all over the country are pulling this type of scam. And these ones just have oh, to yeah. interact. Well, that's the thing, is if this was, um... If all this had gone down in the 70s, I bet... Joe Exotic would have found somebody to kill Carol. Oh, hands somebody down. Somebody would have killed her. Had this happened... And then he would have gotten away with it. Hands down, 20 years ago, yeah. He, you know, she would have been... She'd have had the same fate as her husband did. But this, this oh, yeah. thing is, like, I don't even know if she killed her husband or not. She could have. I don't think it really matters, but uh, he was kind of a scumbag I think it's himself. possible, but I also think, yeah, I think he, it's clearly said that he was doing some shady shit in, like, Costa Rica, I think. Yeah. He was probably fucking dealing drugs or dealing, uh, you know, like she said, he was selling cars. Well, they were probably stuffed with fucking drugs. Bullshit. But my conspiracy theory <laughs> on that, and it's crazy and bizarre and out there, but this motherfucker wanted to be John Hammond before Michael Crichton knew who John Hammond was going down doing illegal <laughs> shit with animals in Costa Rica. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I buy that. It's sort of a biological Somebody had a, had a conspiracy theory on the... Uh, web that I read that was like uh Jeff is her old husband <laughs> like like he had changed his name and shit or whatever interesting and I was like that's that's quite ridiculous I think but yeah so, either so way, Tiger the King, next if you if you haven't seen it and you got nothing better to do at home give it a shot but just keep in mind that all these people are abusing animals so as funny as some of the moments are, there's some, like, really, really dark shit going on in the background here. Right. You should find some uh, actual cat rescues and uh, donate to them. Absolutely. Go out and volunteer at your local animal shelters. Uh, the other thing, I just had a, another small note here for Success World where <clears throat> a man was told to turn down his music uh, and he chased his neighbor with a sword. I read this, and it happened in Manchester, New Hampshire. In case you're wondering, the sword was two and a half feet long, and the guy was 47 years old. So he's a Highlander fan. The... <laughs> there can be only one. There can be only one. So I, uh, I was reading, I was going to read this article, and it's maybe a paragraph. And the funniest sentence on there is... No word on what the suspect was listening to. And I'm not making that up. That's what it says. See, that's important We have to no know. idea why he wanted... Exactly. I mean, are they pulling a biodome moment and going like, we're going to play the safety dance? I used this technique in Vietnam. I mean, <laughs> was that intentional? I don't know. But it's a good story. Yeah. I'm really just... I want to hear the whole story. That would be... It just sounds like a really good watch and also sounds like something that happens in tiger king so on the next season of tiger uh -oh. king <laughs> man with the sword chases oh, neighbor uh, over music i definitely think if joe exotic i heard he has coronavirus if he gets out of prison do you think he'd be into me <laughs> you want to go play with some do you think he'd be do you think he'd want to be uh one of my husbands. I mean... Because listen to this. If they're doing Tiger King... I mean, you know, there's already they're already talking about doing season two. I will put on this persona. I will cut my hair into a mullet. Not one that's like his. Just enough of a mullet where he kind of sees my mullet and my mustache and tattoos. And he's like, oh, how's it going? And I'll get on that show, right? As long as, you're, be the guy as, long as that... you're willing to do meth on there, you'll be fine. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't actually thinking about that. 
Uh, I mean, funny if you want to wear a to pink me. shirt, you don't got to marry. You don't got to marry the Tiger King to wear a pink shirt. No, I just I, I would really like to be a character. That well, that would help me get famous, and I could uh, just imagine the shenanigans I would get into being Joe Exotic's husband. He already has one husband, so I'd be like the sister husband, you know, or whatever they I'd, call that, sister wives. Yeah, I wonder how often he wears the. Uh, you know, because he's kind of old. I wonder if he's... He's probably has a bunch of boner pills, though. But he probably uh, puts that padlock on his Prince Albert, you know, quite a bit. You gotta kind of wonder what his old Prince Albert looks like. If you think it looks like his eyebrow ring. This is territory I never <laughs> wanted to discuss or think. And if I have nightmares, I'm going to call you now. There's just unsettling thoughts. Because he's talking about it's Prince Albert, and I'm immediately like... All I can picture is his eyebrow ring barely dangling off there. You're a sick mob, you know, that's just sick. <laughs> you think uh, Joe Exotic is cut or uncut? No, moving on. The last thing I have on here is that the the stupid sex guidelines that New York City released. I think you saw those. Uh, the biggest notes were that feces has been found to have coronavirus in it, but semen and vaginal fluid have not. And they, they quoted rimming as something you should not be doing right now. And they also recommend you only fuck people that you live with, basically. Which is kind of weird, unless you're married, basically. Or maybe live with your girlfriend. But other than that, it's like... What? <laughs> yeah, that's a little dark. Like, hey, you don't know who I live with. I don't want to get into that with you. Right? Yeah, and like... Uh, Maybe just practice safe sex. Like, use a dental dam, then, if you're still into that. Right. Use a condom. Well, at this point, I think if if you were caught by the police on the street, because I know they've deployed a whole bunch of bullshit now, but I know that if you were caught, like, in the street, say, New York City, and you were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hook up with this chick. I'm going to see this chick. They'd be like, fuck off. Yeah, that's probably not really a priority for most people right now. Yeah. Well, I just mean that the the guidelines probably... These guidelines are probably no longer accurate. They're like, yeah, just don't fuck anyone. Yeah, abstinence. They're like, jerk off. You're your safest sex partner. I think it's a good time to move on to our next segment. Top five. Top five. Top five. This is top five. So top five, this is a segment inspired by High Fidelity, where they are always talking about their top five favorite whatever the fuck. So today, uh, Justin was in charge of picking the topic, and I'll let you kind of talk about that and why you picked it real quick. All right, so top five, right? You know, Alec pitched me this idea for a segment. He's like, hey, let's do this top five idea. Okay, great. So what do you want week one to be? Episode one. Yeah, not trying to go down anything too crazy yet, just to try to hit that broad audience. I said, top five Tom Hanks movies. What are your top five Tom Hanks movies? So we'll start with number All one. Right. Do you want to tell me yours? Well, we'll go down one by one. All right. So What's your number one? Yeah, screw that. Let's start with a, start with five and work up to one. We need a little anticipation here. All right, yeah, tease it, just the tip. Give me just the tip. So just the tip. What's the... Number five for me is A League of Their Own. So I love baseball. I love how silly that movie is, just like overall. I think it's a really fun movie, and his performance in there yeah. like really contrasts things. Like He just kind of shows up as this kind of like lazy drunk that's kind of like out of work, not fit for the service or whatever, and knows a lot about baseball, has that experience, and yeah kind of warms up to being like a better person so you kind of see his character arc go on with there which for a movie that's about like a real thing he has a pretty good story arc and so that came in at number five for me i gotcha that's one i haven't actually seen since i was a fucking kid and i wasn't super into it then but need to give it another watch these days obviously it's not on my list Uh, my number five is probably not on your list but it is a movie that is probably on every other single person's fucking list at number one or two. 
and it's only on the list because out of all the Tom Hanks movies, if I'm just being honest, it's one that I've seen the most. It's one of the most rewatchable ones. And everybody else thinks it's, you know, I mean, it's clearly a drama with some comedy, but even the drama that's like fucked up is just hilarious. Uh, I'm obviously talking about Forrest Gump from 1994. I must have drank me about 15 Dr. Peppers. Right. And that's a good joke. Anytime <laughs> you got to go to the bathroom, like you just say that somewhere and people understand what you're talking about. They just inherently know like, oh, this guy's got to go. Yeah. Um, the movie's in the library at Congress, you know, um, I watched it all the time at our grandma's house, the same grandma you were talking about earlier, so, it's, it's kind of just connected to me that way, even though, I mean, it's, it's obviously number five, I like Tom Hanks movies better than that. Yeah, I, I can agree to that, I, I enjoy that movie to some degree, just not my top five, right? I guess for me, right, it's just one of those things that's so played out that I enjoy it, I've seen it a million times, but... I just think there's better performances by him, you know, in some movies that I enjoy better. But, yeah, there's definitely some good moments in that one, so I, I could see why that's on there. I mean, the place has its own damn restaurant yeah. chain based off of it, so uh, try to keep that out of the pop culture zeitgeist and, and let me know what you think there, because you're not going to find people that don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. What's your uh, number four? So my number four here is Castaway. Um really enjoy Castaway, right? And I loved how they filmed that movie. Even before, like, when it was just coming out, they talked about how, you know, they filmed part of the movie when Tom Hanks had a little bit more chub on him and took some time off. Oh, yeah. Lost a bunch of weight, and then they went back and filmed the other half of that movie. And that, that movie right there is just a pure demonstration of a good actor. Like, right, he's basically doing, like, a one-man stage show on an island with himself and you feel for the character that he has, and you love the depth and everything he goes through, and, like, you try to put yourself in his shoes and, like, see what that would do, and I think some of the things that are lost in that movie is just your overall will to survive, right? Because right. ultimately that that's what that movie's about. It's, like, how far are you willing to go to overcome an obstacle? And I think that's just, like, a really great story of someone overcoming all the odds, surviving, and going through that journey. Like, it really feels like you're along for the ride for that. Yeah. So, for my number four, I picked a movie from the year 2000 with 88% on Rotten Tomatoes that is also Castaway. Uh, Castaway is one of the most rewatchable Tom Hanks movies for me, and it's what I think of when I think of Tom Hanks. And that movie is like, I can't think of another person who you could put in that movie playing that role where it would be that good because it's so dramatic. It's like the epitome of a, Trump, a Tom Hanks movie. Like, it has comedy in it, too. It has the drama, the isolation. Just a good movie. The minimal score, you know? Absolutely, yeah. It's really well done. It's hard not to like that movie. What did you have for uh, number three? So my number three came in as The Burbs. And gotcha. it's, for me, like, I, I just have so many good memories of, like, some cheesy 80s movies. And uh, yeah, my next couple movies are probably going to be in that, that range there. Like, we lucked out as, as kids. We had, we had the premium channels, like, so if you stayed home from school sick, quotes, air quotes, you know. Uh, you could watch a lot of good yeah. movies that way, and HBO was notorious for showing a bunch of awesome, like, 80s classics. Uncensored, oh, full for sure. versions on there, so... The Burbs is the one that was on there, and I just love how campy it is, but it's almost like... It's like a mainstream horror movie, right? Because it's got this, like, yeah. really happy-go-lucky characters and actors in it, and, you know, it's got some real dark stuff in there as well, so I just think that's, like, such a a good use of Tom Hanks' acting skills is to put him in a movie that's so bizarre like that. Oh, yeah. It also has uh, Bruce Dern and Carrie Fisher in it. It does? And, 
Yeah. And Corey Feldman's the neighbor. Yeah. Um, directed by Joe Dante, who was the director of Piranha, The Howling, Gremlins, Gremlins 2, Inner Space, The Explorers, and Small Soldiers. Nice. Got a good list to his name there. Which I will just go ahead and tell you, The Burbs is my number one, so. Oh, right. So what's your number three? My number three It's going to be Catch Me If You Can. All right. Tell me why. Um, for me, it's hard to include this on a list of what you would call Tom Hanks movies, but I had to anyway because it's hilarious. He is hilarious in it. And he's in almost the whole movie, but it obviously focuses on Leo's character. Um, it's obviously based on a true story, but I saw that one in theaters. That one has a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, you have um, Christopher Walken's in there. Yeah. But um, the main thing... Tom Hanks in that movie, for example, there's one scene that always sticks out to me, and some people might think it's stupid or whatever, but it's when they're riding in the car. Um, he's a detective, and he has two other detectives in the car with him, you know. <clears throat> and they're like, uh, why don't you have a sense of humor? And he's like, I got a sense of humor. And they're like, why don't you tell us a joke? And he's like, you want me to tell you a joke? I'll tell you a joke. And he says, knock, knock. And the guy says, who's there? And he says, go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's a classic. And it's just stupid, but it's just awesome from Tom Hanks. Absolutely. So what's your... I guess I'll go to my number two then. My number two is... Wait. The Incredible film. Known to the mass is Dragnet. Him and Dan Aykroyd uh, in that movie are amazing. Like, he plays, like, the young guy that just thinks Dan Aykroyd's a nutcase. And it's so fun. Yeah. And, like, the Virgin, Connie, and uh, all the silly shit in that movie. Just, I never get tired of watching it. Like, and yeah. I don't even like the old TV I, um, show. Like, I've seen episodes of it. It's like, uh, it's okay. But that movie is just, like, so ridiculous and over the top. Never get tired of it. Yeah, that's one I definitely watched as a kid. Like, that one and Turner and Hooch, I remember watching relatively around the same age. Yep, Turner and Hooch. Yep, that was a good one as well. I'm surprised. That's in my top ten, but not on the... You know, I don't like I don't like the dogs getting hurt, man. That's sad. Shit bums me out. Oh, yeah, that's, that's why it's not on my top, because I can't actually watch the whole movie. Yeah, it bums me out, man. I don't like that. I watched, like, the first... 45 or 50 minutes, and I'm like, eh, i got to check out early. I don't know when this shit's going to go down anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I don't want to get to the sad stuff. So, but, um, oh, funny enough, you just made me think of uh, Ace Ventura and how I read or saw that, you know, in the fucking Tiger King. I guess it was in Tiger King. But do you remember seeing that he had animals in fucking Ace Ventura and shit? Oh, those were his animals? And Ace Ventura, too. Some of them were, yeah. Oh, interesting. I think one of the elephants and shit. Uh, that makes sense. Kind of fucking weird. Gives it a creepy vibe watching it now. <laughs> yeah. Not that I watch that shit all the time anyway, but, you know. Yeah, just no one Sometimes you need some Ace Ventura in your life. Yeah. So what's your number two? Number two is going to be Toy Story for me. Ooh, good call. Um, I didn't even think animated. I was just going all live action yeah Toy Story I saw in theaters right at the perfect age as a kid it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes which isn't surprising that's a damn um, good movie Tim Allen Tim Allen you know eh I could do with or without Tim Allen really home improvements the only Tim Allen I'm down with other than that I'm kind of just like fuck him but um on that note real quick Annie Potts is in, go is in Toy Stories Oh, yeah, she's in there. Jim Varney is also the, in, in there. There's some good people in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty interesting. It was the first Pixar movie, too. Yep, so. I read a lot about that in one of the Steve Jobs biographies I've read, so some good behind-the-scenes stories talking about how he actually helped get that movie off the ground with Pixar, and he was one of the big, right. big fans that actually helped get that movie made. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, there's not a whole lot that can be said about that movie other than 
everything that everyone knows because it's another one like Forrest Gump. What am I going to do? Describe anything to you yeah. from that movie? You've fucking seen it. You know. Yeah. Toy Story's great. You already know about it. Fight yeah. me. <laughs> so my number one. What? Any, get, Go any ahead. guesses? Number one. I thought it was going to be The Burbs. Um, it's big. No, I don't got any. It's big. Big, yeah. I love that movie. That makes sense. The thing about Big, though, that stands out is, right, it's really well done. It's a classic story of, like, the, you know, wanting to be older, right? You know, it's like that Freaky Friday movie, right? That's a similar concept to that, but this is just so much so much more relatable. Some of the things I love yeah. about it, right, he gets this job. You know, he's, he's a kid that has to get a job, and he goes and works for a toy company. And he's great there because he knows what right. kids actually want. Like, there's, like, the subtlety and the layers in that movie just show you, like, what what it's like. And then the loft he lives in where he's got a, all the kid stuff, basically, like, living as a man-child. And um, yeah, I think that gave us unreasonable expectations of how we're allowed to live as grown-ups because um, they gave us a blueprint. Yeah. <laughs> that in the movie Richie Rich. Fucking bullshit. Yeah, but... Uh, no, Big is just a fun movie, and I don't watch that one as much as I should, but it's definitely, definitely really stands out, and I think that's that's my favorite Tom Hanks flick. Yeah. I think that's a good list. Mine, my number one is obviously The Burbs. Yeah, so why did um, you make it, why is that your number one? What makes it that way? I just had to go with what's my favorite movie that Tom Hanks is in, and... And that might be a different concept than Tom Hanks movies, depending on how you define it. But I still just basically put my favorite top Tom Hanks movies there. So The Burbs is just my favorite movie with him in it. It's uh, I tend to be most into horror comedies. Like all my top movies are horror or horror comedy, pretty much. Yeah, those are so. excellent movies. I definitely agree. Love a lot of those. And the 80s was a great time for that. They obviously had the Lost Boys, the Burbs, Ghostbusters, Gremlins. And if you're wondering where the hell the Frog Brothers comes from, I hope to God you know who the Lost Boys are. And not the Peter Pan ones that are in Hook. <laughs> right. Actually, that's funny. I didn't even make that connection. I just just now made that connection in my head so oh yeah that's that's fucking hilarious yeah that's one of those things like that's kind of where they came up for that and then it also shows you yeah because they don't age they don't age but it's also joel schumacher before he started putting nap nipples on bat suits i was gonna say napples on on oh, bit right. suits, but nipples on bat suits <laughs> yep we we need to have a segment called Hit or Miss about fucking people who do really good shit and really terrible shit, and that would be fucking Joel Schumacher, man. Yeah, he's a strong candidate for hit or miss, for sure. <laughs> that guy likes to fuck some shit up. But, I mean, Batman Forever, I still watch it, but it's more like a drinking game these days. Batman Forever's okay because i liked how they introduced robin in it and chris o'donnell as robin was okay like he's kind of like yeah all right whatever and they don't make batman right. come across as like a crazy pedophile which if you think about having a little boy hanging out with you in tights all the time is one of the things about batman right. they don't really talk about a lot kind of like getting tiger king vibes from that now that i think about it but i'm gonna try to i'm <laughs> gonna try to block those thoughts out and 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 not let that ruin batman for me right Man, who does that make Alfred? That's pretty fucked up. Catholic priest? <laughs> no, I hope not. You, know, there, you can't say anything bad about Alfred. Hey, speaking of what, uh, no, you, you want to go? Uh, you want to go off schedule here real quick? You know what really grinds my gears? What's that? Is all these what badass VHS tapes? Right, we got all these amazing VHS tapes we grew up watching. Yeah. And these bastards that put out the DVDs don't give me the same fucking advertisements on the goddamn DVD, Blu-ray, or digital copy. When I turn on Ninja Turtles, I want to see that goddamn t commercial for Pizza Hut where the kid's playing baseball. Like, I could practically sing you that oh, song yeah. right now. I play right field. It's important to know. You gotta know how to catch. You gotta know how to throw. 
That's why I play in right field, out where the dandelions grow. <laughs> Same thing. I, I know what you mean. There's um, definitely ones I remember. You remember the like the badass uh, Batman one for Warner Diet Brothers uh, ads for Batman? Yeah, I was about to say. Oh yeah, all the Batman swag that. on there. I wish they did that stuff more, man. Like put that to the beginning of a movie for me. I'm all for it. This shit's fucking hilarious. Yeah, or uh, Casper. Casper on VHS has one for I think Coke. Might be Pepsi. Fuck, I don't know, but I think it's Coke. Need to watch that though. Yeah, no the the one on the one on Batman eighty nine is amazing because it's uh, Alfred calling in about going and, and picking up. He's like, yeah, he has a rather distinct vehicle. <laughs> and you have the you have the VHS of that. If you do watch it, but that's that's yeah, what really grinds my gears this week is the fact that all this <laughs> cool shit that gives me so many memories. They don't put on the newer copies. Like half half of that's what made it memorable for me. So give it to me. Oh yeah, like um, I had uh, well actually, if I, by I had I mean we had. I don't fucking know who bought it, but you remember that old Power Rangers VHS? All the fucking toys for the Power Rangers, the commercials for the Power Ranger toys that they showed. Oh hell yeah, because I had the uh, so back before they too hot to handle. Yeah, that was before they actually released <laughs> full seasons of shows, right? So I remember I got, yeah. you know, they had, like, different tapes with three episodes each of different colored tapes for, like, each different Power Ranger. So I think I had the Red Rangers, the one that came with Day of the Dumpster, the pilot. And I think I got three of those for one of my yeah. birthdays. Must have been fourth grade, I think, is when I was watching that. So I was definitely a, a pioneer on the Power Rangers trend. Yeah. I remember the creepy clown episode, too. Something about that, anyway. I rewatched some of those pretty recently, but they're not all highly rewatchable. <laughs> no, definitely not. And you want to talk about things that they wouldn't do now on shows and movies? We should have a segment about that as well, but Bulk and Skull. You're calling the fat guy Bulk? <laughs> you can't just fucking call a fat guy Bulk anymore. That's not allowed. That's not socially acceptable. Nowadays, they'd have to actually Man, give we'll him a name. Call and here's these, like potential teens and you got these social outcasts that yeah they might be bullies themselves but they're also getting bullied by everyone that calls a kid bulk that uh, that show like the the se sequences they filmed for it always felt like saved by the bell and shit to me oh definitely saved by the bell like cheesy bright colors locker rooms and the, the most amazing yeah. part of those first couple seasons is all these assholes walk around in the same color outfit that they fucking morph into like no one's like no one puts that together <laughs> Yeah, I was going to kind of ignore that, because when you're a kid, you're like, yeah, that's cool, I want to do that. But then you're like, who the fuck is doing that? Are you stupid? Are they stupid? What fucking kind of wardrobe do they have? Yeah, and I, th I think that's strictly so kids know who the Rangers are at all times on the show. But give yeah, kids more so. credit than that, because kids are not that stupid. These are my dinner guests. I, uh, I don't think I've got anything else to you. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. Nope, we'll have These some social media guests. stuff coming up Frog soon. Brothers. Give us some uh, give us some feedback and thoughts. But once we get those going, we'll uh, be back next week with another episode of the Frog Brothers podcast. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. These are my dinner guests. Frog brothers. Frog brothers. Frog brothers.